Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Raves, and today we're talking to Firebat. He's the original winner of the Hearthstone World Championship way back in 2014. He's one of the biggest streamers in the Hearthstone community. One point, a top standard player who's been competing plenty of Battlegrounds, although I've seen him dip back into standard with the Solomance Academy. We're going to be talking about the difference between auto-battlers and the card game genre and how it's sort of fractured the community, or at least split it down the middle a little bit. Uh, but this week, he was playing a different game. Shave the Day from Schick Extreme, a game created to help raise funds for St. Baldrick's Foundation to fight against childhood cancer. He's been raising funds for a while for the foundation, and it all came to a head literally yesterday with him shaving his head for charity. So, Firebat, how's the shaved head feeling for you? Uh, it feels different. It, it doesn't feel good or bad, just kind of like different. Like, laying on a pillow feels kind of weird, because oddly enough, things like stick to your head when there's no hair there. So like putting on a shirt and like laying on a pillow feels uh, definitely unique, but uh, I was happy to do it. It was a, a fun cause or like a fun stream and a good cause. So I had a, a lot of fun with getting my head shaved, trying out different little meme haircuts on stream. And, you know, it's, it's all worth it when you can support uh, the fight against cancer. Absolutely. It's a great cause and it's good of you to, to, Shave that head off for, shave that hair off, not the head. Jesus. Yeah, yeah I, I need my head still. That's important. <laughs> the head's slightly important. Uh, and I also saw that you're moving to Vegas soon. And as someone who's been living in the Vegas heat this summer, I honestly think that shaved head may be a great decision. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm far behind you. Well, hopefully it helps, I guess, a little bit. But the, I'm a little bit worried that it might get sunburned on the top of my head that's never been exposed to the sun before. So I got to buy like a bunch of hats or something for Vegas because the sun there can be brutal, right? Yeah, it's it's not ideal. It's about 105 almost every single day for the last two months. <laughs> yeah, it might. I, I stay inside most of the time, though, and I like to go for night walks. So I think I might be able to fit in okay in Vegas with uh, you know, that sort of sleep pattern. I think so. And it's a trade-off. You know, you, you take the, I came from very rainy Oregon, and yeah, summers are super hot here, but winters, 60 degrees and sunny, you can't really beat that. Yeah, that sounds nice. I'm from Michigan, so winters here are very cold and snowy, and I'm excited to never have to shovel snow again. <laughs> I don't blame you one bit. It's a really awesome cause that we've had... Uh, Chic Extreme has also brought on Aiden, a Fortnite player, to this podcast as well. And I'm glad that they're taking the time and really making this concerted effort to give back to charity. It's a cause that's really close to my heart, St. Baldrick's Foundation specifically. And I've seen you do a lot of charity drives, especially recently. I also saw one for Make-A-Wish where you raised four grand for the foundation. Is it safe to say you feel like it's really important for people with a platform to give back when they can? Uh, yeah, I do think that it's important for people to try and, you know, raise awareness about issues and try and give back when they can. Uh, instead of just always doing ads for, you know, sponsorships and whatnot, I try and do a charity stream every single month to try and uh, give back. And then um, things like this are really cool because this is an ad and a charity stream because Schick is partnered with St. Baldrick's. So I still get money for advertising Schick, but at the same time, I still get, um, it, it's helpful for my brand and it's helpful for Schick's brand to be associated with charity. And then it's helpful for the charity to be advertising the charity as well. So it feels like a win-win-win scenario, which is <laughs> a pretty rare thing to have. So, I, you know, I jumped on the opportunity when it came up. 
it's awesome to be able to support a cause, a good cause with your sponsored content. You know, sponsorships are crucial part to every sort of content creation. We had a call today with with a potential sponsor and they have a good mission. They're, they're helping improve accessibility to education for kids. And for me, as somebody who's doing this podcast is going to be talking about your company all the time, it's really nice to know that what you're doing is has a direct positive benefit on the world. Right. I, yeah, I try and actively align myself with companies and brands that um, are looking to try and do good and aren't just out there to try and make as much money as possible. <laughs> and uh, I don't like um, the, the really sketchy energy drink companies. I don't want to name drop any in particular, but uh, there's some companies out there where it's like, holy smokes, uh, streamers are advertising this to children. This is like... <laughs> Ah, I don't like aligning with those. So you got to be really careful with what sponsors you pick out there because there's all sorts of companies out there that have their own goals and their own missions. And you want to find ones that align with your views and your missions. I am firmly convinced that those energy drinks are the modern cigarette where it's going to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of them are, they're not even energy drinks anymore. They're supplement beverages, which is like, what? what's a supplement beverage? And they're like, well, we call it a supplement instead of an energy drink so we don't have to go through the FDA so we can put whatever the hell we want in there. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to sell that to my viewers. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not peddling drugs, you know, like, holy smokes. Right, you so, got the sixteen-year-olds yeah. who are just who don't know how to make a meal for themselves that are just drinking, just uh, pounding these vitamin concoctions, like, yeah, and they they don't know any better. They're sixteen. I was sixteen before, you know. Even like right. coffee, if you drink too much coffee, that can cause some serious negative effects. And when you're sixteen and dumb, and you just want to game all night, you you can really mess up your system. So. No doubt, no doubt, and it's it's good that streamers like you are are making that a concerted effort because there's plenty of people who aren't thinking about that and see a paycheck and take it. So it's uh, it's sometimes hard to to make sure that you have moral ideals in this world that we live in, where you have to take you have to have sponsorships at some point to get paid, and mm -hmm. so making sure that those also benefit a good cause, like this one with Chic Extreme, is really the ideal situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. So I was really happy when this one this opportunity came up. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Hearthstone. Listeners of this podcast know I am a huge Hearthstone fan. I got my start in esports playing uh, Tespa Hearthstone matches in a University of Oregon dorm room. I'm excited to talk with you because it's a really interesting time for Hearthstone esports. And I want to ask about this sort of the new wave of battlegrounds and auto battlers. There's so many content creators, and it's it's me as well. I haven't touched Standard or Arena since Battlegrounds came out, besides the occasional quest hit or something like that. In your opinion, what's, what is create what has Auto Battlers brought to the card game genre that's brought so many people into that realm uh, that used to be playing so much Standard, Arena, or whatever card game they used to be playing? Well, it's uh, allowed a lot of players in Hearthstone a sort of escape from Hearthstone. Auto battlers were kind of weird because when they were first introduced, they weren't even introduced as a main game, right? They, they, the first one was what, Dodo Auto Chess. And if you want to go back even further than that, there was like Warcraft 3 custom maps that were auto battlers. But they've never been a standalone game before. They're always like a side game because 
I don't know if the developers think that there's not enough content there for it to be its own real standalone game. But for the longest time, they weren't their own standalone game, and they're just like an escape from a, a, a standard mode. So like League of Legends has TFT, which was like, you, you get bored playing standard League of Legends, you can escape for a bit with TFT, and then hopefully you come back to regular League because they have better monetization schemes in regular League. And then Hearthstone tried to emulate that with... Hey, you get bored and the standard metas may be stale for you, and then you tap into Battlegrounds a little bit. So they're kind of like mini-games, um, which for me, I love mini-games. I've been a, a really big StarCraft and WarCraft fan my whole life, and uh, I've played maybe a, a ridiculous amount of hours of like StarCraft custom games and WarCraft custom games, and now a ridiculous amount of you know TFT and... Uh, the Hearthstone Auto Battler Battlegrounds and uh, Dota Auto Chess and all that sort of stuff. So I think they're just like an escape from the standard mode was the intention. And then they grew bigger than that. And now we have like some standalone releases too that happen. I was going to say, it feels like we're at a point right now where, and now you said just release a new expansion. So if you, if you go onto Twitch, it might be a little more standard heavy right now, but it feels like Battlegrounds has taken over as the, if you look at the content coming out of a lot of creators like your channel, you look at somebody like Dog or Hafu or some of these creators, it feels like Battlegrounds is the premier choice for, for most content at this point. It's because of uh, how digestible it is and how easy it is to watch is the, the big thing, I'd say. Hearthstone, as it grows older, needs to get more complicated to satisfy its uh, aging player base. Hearthstone in the beginning was super simple and easy to follow. You could jump into the middle of a Hearthstone game in 2014 and be like, all right, I kind of get the gist of what's happening. Now, 2020... People aren't going to be entertained by the same simple cards that existed in 2014. And as a counter to that, now when you go watch a game of Hearthstone, if you don't start at the beginning, you have no idea what's going on anymore. There's so many crazy effects. The health totals don't actually reflect who's winning anymore because there's other metrics like card advantage and certain key resources being used or not being used. They're going to determine who's going to win the game rather than health total like it was back in 2014 where you could see, all right, this guy's at 10 health. He's losing to this guy at 30 health. And uh, whereas now auto battlers and uh, Hearthstone Battlegrounds in specific, a lot of my viewers have said, yeah, it's just fantastic to watch. You can tune into the game. You kind of get the gist of what's happening right away. You can walk away and then come back and still be able to follow. You don't need to be 100% focused. And that's the thing with Twitch content that a lot of people, I think, uh, don't understand fully is most people when they're watching Twitch content have it on their other monitor and it's, it's not full screened or anything, and they just watch it occasionally. They're not studying it, and they're not watching it on their main monitor. They're doing something else at the same time. And that's why Battlegrounds works so well on Twitch, is because uh, the game just lends itself for people to be able to watch it casually without having to focus on it as if it was like homework, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. They're also perfect for YouTube videos. The average like mm -hmm. being what? 16 17 minutes uh maybe a little bit longer on a if you get the win uh it feels like it's just the ideal okay yeah, one game is a perfect uh, length for the youtube algorithm for ads and it's like just generally what i'd say the average viewer is willing to watch people don't want to watch a 30 minute youtube video but people will sit through a 10 15 minute battleground game it's just perfect you don't even need to clip two games together you don't have to cut out too many things it all just flows Right. It, it's the perfect, you don't have to stretch content to hit the 10 minute ad revenue mark and you can just sort of just plug a game in, have your editor clean up some of the like 40 second wait times and good to go. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's that's why I think it's taking over on uh, the content sides. But I'm not sure if it's actually taking over the player base because those are two very different things. Even though people are watching it more, what are people playing more? I I don't know the I don't know what the answer to that is. <laughs> It'd be really interesting to see. You know, I'm I'm in battlegrounds, but it's hard to tell with you don't really have the same rank distribution. You know, the Hearthstone's completely changed their rank distribution, uh, but that used to have a lot more consistent progression the one mmr number going up and down doesn't really give the same level of like oh i'm rank one oh i reached rank five that uh hearthstone standard used to have or even that arena the the consistent grind to oh i got 12 wins i killed it or if you're really good i hit the leaderboard feels a little bit different there so i wanted to ask you a little bit you mentioned how hearthstone in 2014 was a very simple game it, it was just stack the numbers up on your side tempo's king uh mm-hmm. face hunter punch him in the face over and over and over and over again in your opinion what's better about hearthstone now than it was back then and what aspect of hearthstone back then do you want do you wish would come back it would become play a bigger role in where Hearthstone's at, talking standard primarily because we don't have the history of Battlegrounds, starting with what's better now than you think back then. What's better now than I think back then? Um, I mean, it's all a matter of opinion, right? It's uh, it, what what people like. It's uh, So it's going to differ from person to person. At the time, in 2014, Hearthstone was my first card game. So I loved the simplicity of Hearthstone back then. I was able to get into the game, understand it, and become world champion. So like the game, <laughs> the game made sense. The game was easy to get into, and that accessibility was why it was such a successful card game, right? You make that sound so easy. <laughs> I, you know, I picked it up, and then I was world champion. It was like bada big, bada boom. <laughs> But a lot of that credit goes to the game being so accessible and so easy to get into and simple to follow in 2014. Now, though, as someone that's played card games for years, like seven years of card games now online, I've played any card game you can name, I've played it online. So now I really appreciate the complexity that Hearthstone is going. I really appreciate uh, the design of some of the newer decks and newer cards and newer archetypes that get a little bit wacky and a little bit weirder. But uh, back then, I would have hated how Hearthstone is now. I don't think I would have played. So it's kind of crazy to think if Hearthstone came out in 2014 with the complexity and the cards that it has now, I would never have played the game. So it's interesting when you think that, think about that. It's true. As somebody who's, who's played the game for a long time as well, if there wasn't a slow ramp into all these different concepts, oh, okay, now Reboard's a thing, and okay, I'm getting used mm-hmm. to that. Now we have Spellbound, and I'm getting used to that. I can't imagine somebody jumping right in to what it looks like right now. I mean, I was just watching one of your videos recently with Spellbound, and I was like, how does this mechanic work? I'm not even totally familiar with it, <laughs> but I get it because it's the the one new mechanic, and so I could, I could pick it up. Is there anything from those early days of Hearthstone you wish would come back? Any aspect of the game uh, that you think Hearthstone was better off back then that sort of lost over time? Aspect of the game that it's lost over time uh, is definitely lost the concept of resource starvation in a lot of matchups. Um, as time progresses, the game's getting more complicated, so it's harder to figure out what the best turn is. But the best turn is usually the right turn which 
it sounds like duh, but <laughs> it, back in 2014, sometimes the best turn was not the right turn because it would commit too many resources into an area of effectability or commit too many resources at the wrong time when you needed to develop. You needed to save like a big turn to uh, make sure that your opponent couldn't develop some specific eight drop, for example, like Ragnaros. So you'd want to uh, do like a underdevelopment turn on turn six so that you can make sure that you can do like an overdevelopment turn on turn seven to prevent them from being able to play Ragnaros on turn eight kind of thing. So we've kind of lost a little bit of that sort of resource attrition with all of the discover effects and random generation stuff. Now you want to do whatever the strongest play is on board because you know you're going to generate more resources over the game and you're going to be able to keep doing that. Previously, you'd see the strongest play on the board and you'd be like, if I do this now what am I going to be able to do in the following turns? Is this power that I'm putting in play right now worth not having much to do in the, the upcoming turns? And you'd have to make that decision. And now it's like, I'm going to do my most powerful thing every turn of the game forever because I just keep getting more stuff, which is kind of fun. It's really fun to just be able to do cool, powerful stuff every single turn. And you also generate a bunch of stuff so you're playing with cards you're unfamiliar with and you're getting little puzzles every turn. So that's the upside. But the downside, you do lose that uh, resource attrition management. That just doesn't happen very often anymore. Yeah, those old days when you could count on priests just having two Shadow Word deaths and it was like, okay, they have two. You you bait out the one and then you can play your big guy and you have that whole thing where you're like trying to cancel out their resources and then have one more thing than them at the end. That that just like doesn't happen anymore, like at all. Even even more so now. They have a new priest legendary. There's a two mana one three. I forget the name of it. The priest card. The copy. It switches decks with your opponent. Switches hands with your <laughs> opponent. So if you're able to get ahead on the board, you can just use all of your removal, waste all of it. I did this in GM the other day in a priest mirror. I was able to kill him on like turn eight by uh, Shadow or Deathing, one of my own guys was one of the plays or something, and just get these resources out of my hand so then I could then play this guy, swap hands with my opponent, then he couldn't deal with my board while I was ahead, and then kill him that way. So there's... Um, you, you can never count on how many resources people have. They generate so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Do we reach a point where it's almost impossible to play around things because it's just so hard to figure out you can't even predict what's in their hand they kind of pulled cards from every other different class at this point say you're playing a a rogue for example and they've just got cards on cards does that make it hard to figure out i should not even play around and you mentioned how okay the right play is just the best play on board because playing around things there's too many potential possibilities for it to actually make sense to to try and account for all of them Yes and no. There are uh, a lot of things you can't really play around. And then there's a lot of turns where you can play around things. People don't start the random card generation at the very beginning of the game. You know, it takes a little while to get into that phase. So turns one through five, you can definitely play around what minions they're going to develop, what stat lines they're going to develop, and try and develop competitive stat lines around that. Um, I mean, you still, like, against priests, try and make all your minions have four attack. That's always a classic, because they still have no way to kill four (laughs) attack minions. (laughs) So, I mean, there's definite definite counterplay, even with the random generation. And then you can think about what's going to blow me out the most and try and play around that still. Um, So you definitely have to do that. Against Paladin right now, you you play around buffs by removing all their minions, because they're a buff-centric deck. 
So I, I think a lot of people exaggerate that you don't try and play around anything, but uh, you, you do play around less, I'd say. It's less uh, opportunity to outplay people than before. Before, you knew 30 cards and in their deck, and they knew 30 cards in your deck, and you would put both deck lists up on your screen, and I would open them up and paint my opponent's deck list or the whatever the most popular deck list is, and then I'd cross cards off as they used them. And I'd have my deck list in paint next to it, and I'd draw arrows from my cards to what cards I'd want them to hit. What would be the most value for me to hit? What things, key cards do I need to pair against their key cards to make that happen? I do not do that anymore. <laughs> World Championship <laughs> but, strats, though. <laughs> but I used to do that, and you'd just pair them down, and you'd be like, I want this card to go against this card, I want this card to go against this card, and at the end of trading all 30 cards down, who's left with one card? Me. So, Right, when yeah, the... No. When the- well, the question on a deck choice was, do they have ooze in it or not? Like, is that what? What are their tech cards? What that's yeah. there's like twenty six core cards, and then maybe like three or four potential other cards they might have in there when they stopped providing the deck list outright. Although I guess they still do that most of the time. So yeah, and then uh, there's also some of the cards that you would like to play around are too powerful to play around sometimes. So you get tricked into thinking I should try and play around like Reno Jackson on six, for example. Battle Cry deal ten to enemy minions spread out in ones, of course. Oh, the other um, Reno Jackson. There's too many cards. Yeah, yeah. There's two Reno Jacksons. <laughs> but it, you, you think, all right, I'm going to try and play around this, and then by trying to play around it, it's too powerful of effect to justify playing around, and you lose more by playing around than just yoloing it. So with the addition of more complicated and more powerful build-around cards like Zephyrus and Reno and some of the Highlander cards, Dragon Queen Alexstrasza, their correct decision oftentimes is to ignore it and just go because if they have it, it's too powerful, and so you're better odds as if they don't have it kind of thing. Definitely. I want to wrap up here. I know you probably got to stream or do something else later tonight, but my final question for you, what is the best Hearthstone card ever designed for either how it impacted the meta, uh, the complexity or simplicity of it. What is the all-time best Hearthstone card, in your opinion? The best Hearthstone card of all time has got to be the Fiery Bat. (laughs) 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 I'm just kidding. That's that's the card that I got from uh, Winning Worlds, and it never really saw any play, so it kind of sucked. But it uh, still holds a place in my heart. But to answer the question seriously, I'm going to need a minute to think. I was trying to stall. <laughs> it's it, it's 2-1, Deathrattle do one damage. Is that right? Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Classic uh, card. Like, Great for face hunters, if just not good enough. Yeah, just not good enough. It was, it's close to good, but... Uh, Would have seen play an Undertaker play. back in the very early, early, early days. You get it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean... I really like Zephyrus. I think Zephyrus was one of the coolest cards Hearthstone's ever had. So Zephyrus was the one where if you have a your deck has no duplicates, it discovers the perfect card, which is kind of cool and allows you to make some really interesting and unique archetypes and create some really perplexing game scenarios. Zephyrs is a is a great one. That was one of the resource management ones where you're like, okay, I have to make them use their Zephyrs on. Mm-hmm removal so that they can't use it to to savage roar me yeah yeah (laughs) exactly exactly yeah i think zephyrs was really and it's a card that is so unique it could have been so op but it hit the right balance where it's like okay 
it's good. And then the fact that you have to make it Highlander to, to activate it was good. I liked all the Highlander cards, honestly. Reno, Kazakis, I thought those were generally good cards. Mm-hmm. I think so as well. They were really cool build-arounds that gives the player a lot of decision-making. When to use it, like which matchups do you want the Zephyrs for wild growth? Which matchups are you supposed to try and save it for removal? Which matchups are you supposed to try and go for burst with it? And stuff like that. It actually just changes how your deck functions in different game scenarios, which is really cool. Because one of the things that can happen in card games a lot is you get this cool deck, and then you, you have really fun playing it for like the first couple of days, and then you start realizing, wait a minute, I do exactly the same thing every game in every matchup because it's a well-oiled deck. You know, it functions very much consistently because you strive for consistency in card games until you figure out consistency is boring as hell. I hate doing the same thing every game. So then Zephyrus allows your deck to play in like six different ways depending on what matchup you're in, which is one of the things I love about Zephyrus-related decks. And I think it's super important to the design of matchups and archetypes is you, you need to make decks... Uh, be able to function in different ways in different matchups so the player while playing a tier one deck is still playing a different sort of game in every single matchup absolutely i think that's a really important thing for for the card games you can play aggro shaman all all day long and you're gonna rank up but oh my i'm just thinking back to the trog totem golem days but it's yeah yeah your your mind becomes numb after after about 15 games you're just like okay one two three face face beautiful <laughs> uh well i love nerding out about hearthstone for our people who listen to this show and you don't know anything about hearthstone i'm sorry you this probably made absolutely no sense to you uh but this is what my conversations with my brother look like all the time and my parents are just like what are you guys talking about We're like yeah you know it's just all these random cards it's all reno jackson one. Oh, okay of course right right the original reno jackson yeah naturally well, thank you so much, Firebat, and thank you to Chic Extreme for providing you, for Chic Extreme for supporting a good foundation, the St. Baldrick's Foundation, to fight against childhood cancer. Check out the game Shave the Day if you want to do your part, help add some funds to their fight uh, against a really horrible disease and one that has affected most of us in, in some way. So, Firebat, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for the work you're doing for charity as well. Thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better than nerding out about Hearthstone, honestly. Awesome. To our listeners, if you didn't understand a word that Firebat and I said this this show, that's okay. I've got other shows that you'll be more uh, more in line with. So this is going to be published on Monday, August 17th. Our last podcast is going to be with Todd Citrin, the Senior Vice President of Competitive Games for EA Sports. If you want to learn more about sports simulations, I encourage you to check out that interview with Todd. He also is pretty frank and talks about uh, EA's less than stellar reputation. So it's a pretty interesting conversation with Todd on the Esports Network podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Dreams. I'll be back later this week with a podcast with Brett Diamond, the COO of the Minnesota Rocker ahead of Champs. <laughs>